Well, there were no surprises from the RBA yesterday, unless you were expecting a surprise, in which case the surprise was that there wasn't any. Uh, that's probably all we need to say about the RBA, I think. But in general, the numbers were positive yesterday. Growth seems to be picking up. Uh, we can expect stronger GDP numbers for Australia today. That could be a surprise, except now we've told you that it will be, so it won't be, if you see what I mean. Maybe we should just get on with it. It's Wednesday, the 2nd of June, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, back from the holidays and shares are generally up in the US, but not by much. In fact, when I say that, they're actually slightly down now, uh, 0.1% down for the Dow. Uh, the Nasdaq is down slightly as well. Uh, the S&P 500, as we record this, also less than 0.1% down. The FTSE and the US stocks 50, though, are both up 0.8%. Treasury yields are up a little, just two basis points, though, on 10 years uh, to 1.61%. Not much movement in the US dollar, but the Aussie is up 0.4%, whilst the pound is down 0.4%. And oil is up a fair bit. Brent is 1.2% up, and it it passed the $70 barrier. In fact, it got up to 71.34, which is its high for the last 12 months. Uh, So let's look at oil, first off, with Rodrigo Cotrill, senior FX strategist at NAB in Sydney. So, uh, I mean, you'd think $71 for oil is a sign that life is returning to normal. And uh, we've had the revised forecast, obviously, yesterday from the OECD backing that up. And we had the OPEC meeting, the OPEC Plus meeting on Tuesday, Uh, where they're basically sticking with their plans to reduce their curbs in supply in July, which is all, you know, all makes sense. But $71, I mean, it wasn't at $71 when we went into COVID-19. It was, uh, you know, we've got to go back. It was fleetingly there in May 2019. So $71 is actually quite a high price for oil. Um, Morning, Phil. Yes. Uh, So there's been uh, this combination of uh, solid data releases around Europe and the US that favor the view that the reopening is happening and, and is supportive for growth and, and, and demand for oil. Um, but I suppose the mm. big news from, from OPEC and friends is that uh, as much as they have committed to, to increase their output in July, it's still very unclear how much and, and what, what exactly is going to, that's going to look like. And, and the Saudi energy minister again said, I, I will believe it when I see it. So, they're very, very sort of reluctant to, to increase their output, and, and we, it remains to be seen by how much. And I suppose maybe in the background as well, there's, there's still a little bit of uncertainty about Iran and, and, and exactly how much output will come from, from Iran if, if an agreement is reached there. Uh, so I suppose it plays to the view that OPEC is, is remain cautious in terms of committing to, to right. uh, a quantity, if you like, of increase, uh, as much as they're, they're positive in terms of the outlook and the data around the globe is supporting the idea that there should be an increase in demand. Yeah, but and yeah, demand might not increase because, I mean, we've still got India, which is the third largest consumer of oil, obviously still facing lockdowns and the spread of the virus. Uh, they've got about a third of the, the level of consumption of the United States. And then, you know, the UK, I mean, they're out of lockdown, but they're not out, fully out of lockdown yet. And it's it's seeming more likely that their full lockdown, which was supposed to happen uh, in the, the middle of this month, uh, might be pushed back by a month, perhaps. So, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it just seems a, a high price when there's still so much uncertainty, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and I suppose that favours and supports the view of what the Saudi ministry is saying. That they're, you know, mm. we have to wait and see. Uh, as you say, you know, we we talked about what's going on in the pandemic in, in terms of Asia. South Korea was the, you know, the poster child at one point, and now they're, they're struggling Taiwan as well. And even in Australia now, we need to be careful that, um, you know, developments in, in Melbourne don't get out of hand either. So, and until we have countries, you know, at high levels of vaccination, uh, we, we all remain at risk of, of, you know, being delayed or at least pushed 
pushed back because of new lockdowns. Yeah, well, uh, Victorian government ministers met last night, didn't they? The final call is going to be made today as to whether they extend uh, the lockdown in Victoria by uh, beyond the long weekend and also the question of whether New South Wales is going to close its border. So that does add uncertainty. Yep. And I guess that, that sort of supports the RBA statement yesterday. Uh, that you know, I mean, that they, some were expecting that perhaps they would be a little bit more hawkish but they will have been disappointed uh, because they're not changing their tune uh, one bit just, just yet, are they? And I guess the Victoria lockdown is an example of why not. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I suppose when it comes to the RBA, we weren't expecting any major surprises. They, they kind of told us already that the big decisions will be made in July uh, and to some extent, um, therefore, there wasn't any sort of major changes to, to come. Um, our economists have highlighted though that in terms of the central scenario that the RBA put out in the um, um, monetary policy statement is is that uh, you know there are in this scenario they still expect the potential for the short-lived lockdowns um, until you know full, we are all fully vaccinated. So um, in terms of what's happening so far in, in Melbourne, it is kind of still part of the central scenario. So therefore, it shouldn't change mm. the, the sort of major forecast. Uh, but if the, the lockdown in Melbourne becomes a, like a big, long, extended lockdown, and then obviously that that would be a, a, a downside risk to to their view. Yeah, but meanwhile, of course, you know the the numbers have been fairly good, haven't they? I mean, we look at Australia's uh, Q1 GDP partials, much higher than anticipated, a record current account surplus, for example. So, uh, what does that mean for the GDP read today? Uh, for those who were expecting an upside surprise, they'll probably get it, won't they? Yes, uh, that's that's right. Um, if anything, the, the, we had some partials yesterday, and the big one was, uh, as, you, as, you, as you mentioned, the net export side, which we were expecting to be a significant drag of 1.2% to, to, in terms of the quarter, but now it's only going to subtract around 1.6, sorry, 0.6. So it, it is a significant sort of in, improvement in terms of the numbers. Um, and then uh, we also had some uh, upward surprises in terms of inventory. So, so overall, um, our economists, instead of expecting a, a GDP print of 0.7, now they're going for 1.7. Um, but the other thing that uh, is worth highlighting, like Tapas mentioned yesterday, I think, is that the, the big uncertainty around the measure of GDP is the consumer. Now, they represent, if you, you look at it from sort of the expenditure side, they, they, they represent around 56, 57% of, of the GDP reading. So um, how the consumer has performed, and in particular, how the consumer has performed on the services side of consumption is the big unknown. And, and if anything, the data from yesterday suggests that there's potentially actually from an upside from there as well. So um, when we look at that 1.7 uh, number uh, in terms of our expectations, uh, you know, we're leaning towards the risk that it could be actually even stronger if if it proves to be the case that the, the consumer came out quite strong in, in, in the Q1 uh, uh, data print. Now, in the United States, more signs of recovery over there as well. The ISM manufacturing PMI was up to, uh, what was it, 61.2, I think I've got here. Uh, but new orders for May up to 67, which is really strong. But the downside of it all, uh, employment numbers were soft. So, I mean, I, I, what does that mean for the head of non-farm payrolls on Friday? Uh, which, you know, uh, again, everyone has a very different idea, don't they, about what that number is going to be this time around? Yes. So I suppose in terms of the ISM in particular, um, the, the theme there is that demand continues to push higher, but the, the supply is still still struggling because of constraints, yeah. uh, you know, lower inventories and access to, to inputs and increasing costs in terms of inputs. And in particular, which I suppose is the big theme or the contrast that 
um, we see in between the U.S. and other, other other regions is that in the U.S. there's a more significant struggle to to find um, you know uh, uh, workers. Uh, and then, of course, that is the issue around the, the short-term payments that the, the government has introduced, which is created as incentive for people to come back to work. And, and the, 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 COVID, um, um, the, the COVID itself is also make, made people reluctant to, to go back to work. So mm. you need to see an improvement in the level of vaccination, and you also need to see a bit of a fading, if you like, of those employment benefits, which... It's worth noting that there's 24 states uh, that have now introduced restrictions in terms of those incentives, and they've also introduced bonuses to come back to work. Um, now, those those effects will will um, will kick in really in June, July. So, the expectation is that you will see an ease in terms of those pressures in the labour market uh, over the coming months. Uh, but it's too early for for non-farm payrolls numbers uh, that are coming out on Friday. So. As you say, at the moment, there's a huge range in terms of expectations. I think the lowest number is around 300,000, whilst the biggest number is around uh, a million, and, and that in the median is around 650. So uh, a big, big wide range in terms of what to expect on Friday. And if anything, that's probably reflective in terms of the price action today, that the market still remains very reluctant um, to push on on either an idea that there's improvements uh, in the US economy, particularly the low market, or whether we still need to wait and see how things develop. Right. And- and final PMIs for Europe, they were up too, weren't they? Even though the, the euro wasn't, of course, they don't want the euro to be up, but those PMI numbers were pretty strong. Yes. So um, I suppose the, 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 the PMI story in Europe is, again, a theme of, you know, the, the, the demand is very, very strong. Um, and But it, mm. but the, the issues in terms of supply constraints, it's, it's not a labor market story primarily. It's more of these issues about the rundown inventories and the, 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 the increasing in input costs as well. Uh, but certainly a, a positive story and, and a place to the view that as you get vaccinated, you, you will see a reopening and you will see a, a lift in activity. Uh, and, and that is certainly a, a positive story that still has the potential to run for you know a few quarters in, in Europe at least. Yeah. All right. And later today, the euro area gets the April producer price index. So again, another example of uh, uh, how supply chains are, are impacting prices. And early tomorrow morning, the Fed releases its beige book. I always wonder why now, you know, when, in this period of change, why don't they just change the color and just change it depending <laughs> on what the content is? So if, if things are running hot, make it the red book. If it's blue. It's if it, things are getting cold, then you get the message without even opening it. That's you know? right. Just a thought. Yeah. Uh, and uh, lots of Fed speakers out today. Although I'm, I'm curious about this one. So we've got Charles Evans, Raphael Bostic, and Robert Kaplan attending a forum on racism, a Fed forum on racism. I'm not whether, quite sure whether they think central banks can resolve racism by monetary policy. Uh, but uh, anything else of interest for the, that we're going to hear from Fed speakers over the next 24 hours? Uh, no, and if anything, I suppose is is sort of developments that we've we've had over the past 24 hours in terms of Fed speakers. Um, we the quarrels, Fed quarrels last week was quoted as suggesting that, you know, maybe there was a time to consider some tapering. And he's kind of made clarify that that it is really only only if his you know projections of uh, of forecasts of mm. the economy are, are beaten in terms of being a much stronger okay. outcome. Um, and again, he's backtracking. Yeah, and then and then <laughs> Fed Brainard again reiterated the, the 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 message that there's still a lot of slack in in the labor market and said so, you know something between eight mm. to ten million in terms of the level of job creation that. Um, 
uh, in the absence of the pandemic. Uh, and, and again, that the, the evidence from her perspective is that still, you know, all the inflation indicators still suggest that these are temporary or transitory effects. And, and that in, in yeah. her, her measure, the, these inflation expectations have not yet been lifted significantly to, to, um, to make it an unwelcome development. So um, the message for so far is, is really that the majority of the Fed speakers remain, uh, you know, on, on the key view that for now, there's no, no yeah. change to, to the view that this is only temporary and there's nothing to see here. The hymn sheet has been distributed and they're all singing from it. Absolutely. Good to talk, Rodrigo. We'll catch you again next time. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers, Phil. Thanks. And that's Wednesday morning's morning call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning for another one. See you then. Have a great day.